Podo. You're listening to Movers and Shakers, a podcast about living with Parkinson's. The show is generously sponsored by Boardwave, an exclusive European networking community for software CEOs. Boardwave is a passionate supporter of Cure Parkinson's. For more details on the charity's progress around research and its fundraising, please visit cureparkinson's.org.uk. Hello and welcome to Movers and Shakers. I'm Rory Kettlin-Jones and we're back in the pub for a moan and a laugh. And hopefully we're going to have less moaning than normal, God help us, because we've got a cheery topic. We're going to focus on the burst of creativity some experience after they're diagnosed with Parkinson's. But first, let's see who's here. Nicholas Mostyn. Jeremy Patterson. Mark Mardell. Julian Lacey Solomar. I should say that Paul Mayhew Archer, one of the most creative people I know, is still recovering from his uh, deep brain stimulation operation. So he can't be here, but he is in very good form. You may well remember last week's episode was on the negative side effect of drugs in Parkinson's, which can be pretty horrible. I think we were all quite shocked, actually. But here's the positive side. There's a silver lining, and that's creativity. Who feels they've had a creative boost around the table? Well, Gillian, you do, don't you? Yes. <laughs> I mean, of, of, all, of, all, of me. all, all of us, you are the one that's been most creative. Well, I don't know about that. You've written a book and Paul's got a film script out, but I'm very happy to talk about it, though. Yeah, Only do. too happy. It's, it's the one side of Parkinson's that does make me happy. For me, it's often a middle-of-the-night thing, so it is associated with being up a lot. But it's also the main thing about this versus any other sort of writing I've ever done is it is completely compulsive. You know, I have no choice about it. But I describe what you've do done, because people might not remember what you've done, what, what you did in the summer. Well, I wrote a musical over the last kind of year or two, and that was taken to Edinburgh in the summer. And I think we have a clip from it. Come on, Em, time to be strong. Belt that tuna, sing that song. Show some up, girl, I know you'll succeed. Hit the high notes, that'll do. Step by step, leap by leap, I'll find my way. Yeah, some of us came to a dress rehearsal. I think the judge, yeah, actually, judge went to Edinburgh. Went to, all the way to Edinburgh. It was amazing. And you are yeah, hugely talented. And as your, your, your kids told us that you've not got a, an actual musical bone in your body, but um, you managed to not only write the lyrics, but bring together this whole bunch of really creative people and, and make something happen. Yeah, no, I was probably most proud of that because my organisational skills are also zilch, as anyone who's ever worked with me will know. Well, in fact, as you know, because I walked in here today with things all hanging out of my handbag, etc., etc. No, it's compulsive and it just takes you over completely. Is it a but consequence what? of the condition or yes, of the is. medication? Well, no, I think the med- well, they say it's the medication and I was absolutely terrified because they halved the medication. With my DBS, I went down to half, so I thought, God, will the creativity go down to half? And? It increased. But I wonder what it is, because, as I say, you're hugely talented, but there's this quote from John Cleese (laughs) I read the other day saying, talent is not the same, creativity is not the same as talent. Creativity is the willingness to experiment, to be like a child, to take risks, 
and make mistakes. And I think that's maybe what that the impulsive is. So interesting. Is I haven't heard it phrased like that, but I think one of the other things that the drugs do is take away your inhibitions. So you just think, sod it, what can possibly yeah, go wrong? Yeah, and I also wonder, because, I mean, I've done all sorts of things that I hadn't thought of doing before um, having Parkinson's and, and, and leaving the BBC. And I mean, this podcast for one of them, but, yeah, writing the, the book about my mum, uh, Ruskin Park, Sylvia, the BBC, and me, Available uh, in all good yeah. workshops. Available, <laughs> rave, rave reviews from the Times. <laughs> um, but, I mean, that was, that was an extraordinary undertaking that needed a, a bit of impulsiveness to, to do, which I hadn't thought of doing. And, and then, guts. Uh, I mean, it was a brave thing to do as well, don't you think? Telling well, your whole story. It was, you know, laying out a lot of family secrets that, you know, might not have been laid out... <laughs> I think that's it. I think it's the willingness to share. I mean, you know, I've been writing poetry and what? Mm. And I did share it with Julian, yeah, and and a few other people. And I I don't think I'd I'd, I'd written it before. And then that's that's actually, if I may, the reason is because it's difficult to write prose with my both bad dictation voice and my typing skills. It does take an awful long time, I find at the moment. Yes. So, but I think it's it's a willingness to be out there because I mean, let's face it, we all came from. Creative industries. I don't mean you were. Your judgments were creative. <laughs> creative. But I mean, the court of appeal thought a lot of his judgments were excessively creative. creative. <laughs> that, that is true. Yes, departed from the facts. But what about you, Jeremy? Any outburst of? No, whatsoever. I'm going to positively in, embrace dopamine and all its doings <laughs> from now on because I, I I could do with it really. I mean, you've written a heck of a lot during your career. I have, yeah. Do you still write or think about stuff like that? Or? Not much, no. I'm, I, I, I put it behind me. Yeah. That's what I feel about the news generally. That's why I'm more interested in other yeah, stuff. I have no, inter- no interest in the news Are you at going, all. You told me that you had installed the voice dictation system. Are you going to resume writing using dictation? No, I'm not. OK. There's a very big difference between dictation and writing on a keyboard. Yeah, I find that too. You know, it's it's absolute rubbish that you can just dictate. I had to do all my judgments by dictation because I lost the ability to write or type. So I did do. But I but I had a judicial assistant to tidy it all up. That's what takes me. If I if I dictate, I then spend the next twenty minutes rewriting it (laughs) by hand because it's it's such gibberish. (laughs) That's how I I... write these days. I mean, not not by hand, but I mean I dictate a framework, then get go back over it, correct what has gone wrong. Then go back over it again and put it in hmm. more precise terms. Because what, the way I write is I write mostly rhymes, and often the dictation machine mishears my rhyme. Oh, yeah. So it writes something completely different. And once or twice I've just gone with that, and the poem's gone in a completely different direction than I envisaged at the beginning. It's quite exciting when you do yeah. that. You know, you think, well, we're on a completely random path here. Let's walk it. I would have said, in answer to the question, has there been any increasing creativity since I was diagnosed and my normal answer would have been no but Rory has pointed out that I have actually in that period horsewhipped all of you to doing this podcast. Yeah which is an incredibly (laughs) creative uh, and it was your sheer persistence that made us do it when a lot of us thought it was a very bad idea indeed. How, what did you call it, Jeremy? It well, was it, a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is it the worst idea in the world? Yeah, yeah something like that, yeah. Yes. That's your burst of creativity. That's my well, burst of creativity. And we, we, you may, we've mentioned Paul, and he can't be here today, but um, 
I mean, his creativity, which has been, you know, a constant theme of his life. Mind his you, wife he's says had he's, Parkinson's for years. His wife says he's obsessed with Parkinson's and, and he's he found a subject. He's found a whole new subject, I suppose. He's written this great screenplay, which I, I read the other day, and let's hope he gets made, all about Parkinson's. And which is really funny. Really yeah. funny. Well, he's yeah. a very funny man. Yeah. Let's move on and uh, let's find out what the prof thinks. As last week, when we were discussing the negative side effects of drugs, we've got Professor Alistair Noyce with us. Uh, nice to see you again, Alistair. Thank you for having me. So, is this burst of creativity that we're seeing amongst some of us, is that anything to do with the drugs? Are the drugs a bit like uh, in the 60s, as we were always told, uh, making things happen? Yeah, so we um, we talked about some of the potential negative side effects of the of the drugs last time. It's very clear that for a proportion of people with Parkinson's, starting on medication unlocks and unleashes hidden <laughs> hidden talents and enthusiasm for for art. It seems that you know we we base this understanding mainly on individual cases rather than very large research studies but it seems particularly more to be the case in uh, in people who are on dopamine agonists and perhaps have a tendency a little bit towards impulsivity and so it, so it makes us think again perhaps the dopamine pathways that are deficient in Parkinson's, whereas the movement pathway is perhaps most efficient, the other pathways are, are not quite right. But when you throw some stimulation into that, when you throw a dopamine agonist into that, you improve the movement, but you overcompensate in some of the other pathways. And, and the, the happy side effect of that may be increased creativity. I, I'm wondering if the real reason is that we all suffer from terrible insomnia and therefore get up in the, the depths of the night and, and, and write. I think that's true. So maybe that unleashes um, new artistic talents in people, but also people who were... People who write poetry at three in the morning and, and, and wake their husband up to tell them about it. Exactly. But there, but there are people who were previously artists, but then after their diagnosis and starting treatment, actually their style of art or the colours they select change appreciably. And so it's not just new artistic talent, but a shift in in artistic preferences in those that were previously artists. That is so interesting. How on earth do you account for that? I mean, again, it's it's based on individual cases rather than big research studies, but I think it's through stimulating those those pathways we've already mentioned. And so what studies have done is look at how brush strokes and kind of fine detail change because of the movement symptoms of Parkinson's, those often deteriorate, but the colours become more vivid and the... um, and some of the abstract nature of paintings becomes more apparent in, in people on agonists. I was going to ask this last week about uh, the bad side, but it equally applies here. Is dopamine naturally sort of a stimulant like that? I mean, are people who are artistic, do they have more dopamine? Or? I don't know about that, but it's, it's, it's one of our reward chemicals. So whenever we feel something pleasurable and in a feat that we've accomplished or an activity we've pursued, it's because we're getting a a hit of dopamine from that. So, so you can get a feedback. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So does that mean that the people who are creative are also suffering from some of the negative things you talked about or not? That, is it something different that's going so, on? So some um, articles have, have postulated that, that the creativity does, does seem to be more associated with agonists and some of those people that are creative maybe have some of those impulsive traits, maybe hobbying or, or the like. I you have know, terrible... You talked about punding last yeah. time. I have this terrible punding thing, which is that I have to twist ivy round wires. How that ever came into my head, I have no idea. And so do you do, you do I that did, a lot? I spent hours doing that. 
Really? Especially in the summer. And limericks. And limericks, yes. That's slightly compulsive I've as well. I've got a thing about ivy as well. Have you? Maybe Have it's... you? How interesting. I've got oh, a whole sort of hanging garden of ivy above my actual garden, which, when I'm doing that, if Mike tries to give me drugs or pull me inside for food, I get really angry because I don't want to be interrupted. You don't want to be disrupted. It's terribly important. No, no. And, and there, are, there are lots of examples of this kind of thing. So I had a patient who um, used to fit fire alarms, smoke detectors, and he was on treatment for Parkinson's and he used to spend all night unpacking the fire alarm boxes and then repacking them for hours God. every single night. And so it's a totally purposeless hobby. But, but it's but, super but, punding, isn't that, it? But, but he enjoyed it and he, um, he wanted to keep doing well, that. He was trying so. to create an art installation, obviously. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps. Maybe if we look back at the history of art, we can work out... Well, I was just thinking, I mean, surely the, surely the predominant streak in great artists is that they are impulsive. And obsessive. I mean, look at Picasso, how many times he... Well, A, how, how, how many works, yeah. Yeah. He got out and also... Um, oh, and he had a lot of women. Thing. There were a lot of women who he slept with. I wonder if he had excess sexuality. So, I mean, did Picasso have Parkinson's? <laughs> Not no. as far as we know, but speculation. It's said that Salvador Dali did latterly. Oh, really? So, and there's some, there have been some studies about how his art changed latterly in his, in his oh, really? life. It's very reminiscent of hallucinations, isn't it? Those elephants that exactly. morph into... Yeah. We're going to do an alternative history of art. That's in a whole <laughs> other edition. So that's the science. Now let's get a practitioner. We're joined now by someone who appears to have had an amazing burst of creativity since being diagnosed. Uh, Samuel Smith was for many years a BBC producer. I remember him well. And he then worked at one of the ritziest PR agencies, Freud's. But he's also been a very skilled musician and a songwriter. And when he was diagnosed in 2020 at just 44, he feared that was all over. Instead, he's ended up recording an album with Grammy Award-winning artists. Let's hear a bit of it. This is the one number that is about his experience of Parkinson's. This could be the hardest part A life well lived now blown On shaky ground Lost and found Who will be there on my side Sam, uh, Sam do we call you Sam or Samuel? Sam. But your professional name is Samuel Smith because oh, yeah, there, is, there is, there's another Sam Smith. Yes, exactly. Sam, tell us your story. When you were diagnosed, presumably, like all of us, you went through a pretty dark period. And you thought your, your music, which was not your career, but an essential part of your life, you thought that was over. Absolutely. I mean, the six months after I was diagnosed, I, I couldn't play. I mean, I'd look at my arm and it just wouldn't move. My head was saying, play, play, and my arm just wouldn't move. So something for 20 years that was like breathing, suddenly I, I just couldn't do almost overnight. And then as the drugs kicked in, slowly, like a slow tap turning on, my playing started coming back. Was that a physical thing or a mental thing? It was physical. It was 100% physical. And then, of course, what that sparked then was the sense of, I thought I'd lost the biggest thing to me. And, like, you know, like if you nearly lose someone and they come back or you take something for granted, I was just resolved from that moment to be, I'm going to never, ever take this for granted again. So I was playing 14 or 16 hours a day when it started coming back because I... That sense that of like, sounds like almost uh, the, the obsessive compulsive well, no, Exactly. So I think separating these strands is difficult. Part of that was obsessiveness. 
part of that was the reality of I don't know how long I've got to be able to do this. So I do think separating out the strands of these things is hard. But basically, I went from thinking I couldn't play to it surging back. And when you're diagnosed, I think we'll all recognise this in different ways. You feel different and different feels like a failure. Like to me, I couldn't play the same way I'd always played. And I thought, you know what, if I can't play how I used to play, I'm not interested. But actually, then when confronted with not playing or playing differently, I thought, well, hang on, I can't cope with not doing this, so I'll just have to do it differently. Just spoon spooning back yeah. before Parkinson's, you were a very busy journalist at the BBC, then you were a very busy executive at a ritzy PR firm, but how much of a part was music in your life then? Was it just a, a hobby that you, yeah, know, you did when you could? It was my massive passion. I'd never, um, since university and since I had kids, I, I didn't gig or anything, but I'd always, every two or three years, played in a band or did a, recorded a record or whatever, but always at a very much sort of family and friends level. So it always been a huge part of my psychology. Um, my, all my dad's family play, professional musicians, all, all of them. So it's in my sort of family's blood. But this threw a switch. It really did. What happened next? So there I am, six months after diagnosis, I can suddenly play again. It's like being pulled out of the water. You know, you think you're on, submerged and I'm pulled out. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can play. These songs were pouring out. Now, I couldn't play the way I used to play. I, couldn't, I can't play as fast. I used to be very fast, sort of strumming, flat-picking, kind of bluegrass, singer-songwriter style, acoustic music. I couldn't do probably 70% of it. But what my body and my instincts were, right, well, what can I do? OK, finger style, I can play slower. So I just adapt my, I adapted musically. I was suddenly playing rhythms and styles of songs that I'd never even thought of before. And my songwriting is ten times stronger than it was when I had all the freedom of the full palette. Suddenly I've got a different restriction. This is where you can play, my body's saying. This is what you can do. And I've pivoted to that, and it's unlocked something completely different. It is a bit extraordinary. But this is because, the, as the professor says, it's the unaffected pathways are being topped up and overflowing in the attempt to address the ones that are so deficient, the motor ones, your creative ones are being uh, given this great boost. What, what I do, I say rail at, but I think the drugs are definitely obviously playing a part, but I also think the psychology of the potential of losing something, dealing with trauma, I think there are so many things in the mix here that I think, to the point we were speaking about earlier, talent, creativity, you know, what it unlocks... So I think there's a mix, but it does sound, it sounds like there is definitely something neurological going on. You were pointing out earlier that most songs, most uh, popular music songs, are about loss, trauma. Absolutely, and when you're defined, creativity, for me, was about creating my own definition. It was about saying, right, I'm going to try and put the pieces back together, and songwriting, like for you, Rory, maybe writing, for you, maybe poetry, Mark, for you, maybe a musical, Dylan. For me, it was songwriting. This is how I'm going to try and order this new like universe and there was also an immense amount of determination and ambition because you 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 got together with these grammy award-winning musicians it was pretty extraordinary the main reason for doing this is that you know i've got a 14 year old son and i've got an 18 month old son and my 18 month old isn't going to see his dad play really not really that that's the truth of it and for me, this record and what I can do in this narrow window I have is about leaving a legacy. And so with that in mind, I just wrote down a list of all my heroes, all my musical heroes, and I thought, right, what's the worst they can say? It's a bit like being a BBC producer, right? What's the worst they can say? I don't want to do your show. OK, well, who, who cares? <laughs> I'll pitch someone else. And I wrote to them. I wrote, emailed, Instagram, DM, Facebook Messenger, and 
Honestly, everyone said yes. That's amazing. Amazing. Wow. 27 Grammys on the record. So what Stuart, did you write? So Stuart Duncan, who is the best fiddle player, plays with Yo-Yo Ma and is on the record. He's extraordinary. The piano player, Matt Rollins, is sort of Nashville's sort of generational talent. Was in Lyle Lovett's band, played with Emmylou Harris. I mean, there are some extraordinary people on the record. What Matt Rollins said to me was interesting was that they didn't respond because of a, to a pity record. They didn't respond to a Parkinson's fundraising appeal. They wouldn't have done it if the music wasn't good enough. So what's been amazing about this process of, of doing this record is Matt Rollins said to me that he expected it to be a pity record or a sympathy record. Or a, but the fact that it was just the songs I needed to write, and only one of the songs on the record is actually about my Parkinson's. So the response from people who in the past were, ah, heroes of mine, some of the great musicians of their generation, suddenly on my record, in a moment where I should be at my least able, <laughs> my most vulnerable, the idea that it flipped to something I could never have imagined doing before my Parkinson's is a bit of a head spinner. So is that creativity positive. coupled with I don't give a damn? Most of my life now, I won't be able to do certainly what I can do at the moment. And what I'm doing, I can't play half the songs on this record now that I wrote two years ago. Mm -hmm. In the Indiana Jones sort of analogy, that door that is shutting in the Temple of Doom that I've got to try and slide under, you know, is getting <laughs> narrower and narrower. And my window to, to get through into that other room, which is my music, is, is smaller and smaller. So I absolutely think it's a sense of, I don't give a damn. Who cares about the judgments? Who cares about... These guys saying no. Who cares? Like if this makes me happiness, this is unlocking happiness. And the other thing is, I could see it was unlocking happiness in my family as well. It wasn't just passion project Sam. Everyone else gets thrown out the back of the bus while he does his self-indulgent music record. My mum and dad were on a high. My cousin Charlie, who is the hero of this record, learned all my guitar parts in case I couldn't play them in the studio. What an inspiring story. Yeah, <laughs> thank story. you, Jeremy. It's great. So Charlie, 22-year-old, learned all my guitar parts, came to the studio. He didn't play a bean on the record, but he was there if I couldn't play. I think creativity, both as an unlocker of personal challenge and trauma, to, to your point, Mark, but also it can be also incredibly communal. Creativity is communal as well and is about community. When I brought the record out and did a partnership with Parkinson's UK to make a sort of case study of this around creativity, and I did quite a lot of media over the summer, the, the response I got from people was extraordinary. I mean, I'll tell you one story. I got an email from a woman who said, I saw you on BBC Breakfast this morning. She said, I was, I'm 55, I was diagnosed 10 years ago with Parkinson's and I used to play piano. And the room in which my piano sits has been locked for 10 years. And this morning I watched you on breakfast and I unlocked the door to the room. Wow. Wow. And, uh, yeah, she, said she started playing. She said, I, I'm useless. But she said, listening to your story, I thought, who cares if I'm useless? If it makes my heart sing, it makes me fly, who gives a, a darn? So, you know, one email like that times 700, because I've got hundreds of messages, that's what it's all about. You know, that's, this, this stuff is tough, you know, telling people to get creative. You know, some people can't even get out of bed. But creativity is millions of things. It's not necessarily having people with 27 Grammys. It might be potting a plant. <laughs> it might be, you know, scribbling on a notebook. It might be making a diary into a dictaphone. It's millions of ways in which you can be creative. And I think that was the sort of message that we wanted to try and push out off the back of this record was what an unlocker of well-being this, this can be. Well, that so is an inspiring story. It really is. Thank you very much indeed. You've inspired us. Yes, You've inspired thank you. Jeremy. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Goodness.
That was not just inspirational, but there's barely a dry eye around the table, actually. So now we go to Martin Pickard. Martin, there were some quite heavy definitions of creativity there, heavy or light, depending on how you look at them. You started a whole poetry group called Poets with Parkinson's, which just oozes creativity. What was that all about for you when you started it? I guess it goes back to my story. Uh, so I was diagnosed in June 2020, so middle of lockdown, diagnosed over the phone by the doctor, couldn't see anybody, couldn't go to any meetings, no support groups, no Parkinson's nurses, anything. It was just me and the internet. No movers um, and shakers? No movers and shakers then either. No, absolutely not. And uh, I struggled a lot to get my head around it all. And I took to poetry as a form of therapy to start trying to get my head around it. It just started flowing out of me. But I was looking online. And then slowly I found all these other poets online. And there are, there are loads of us. I discovered this whole community of creative people with Parkinson's. And we, we joined together just over a year ago now. We created this site, www.poetswall.com, which is the home of the poets with Parkinson's. And we've, we've got about 100 people signed up and uh, from the UK, but from Germany, Australia, America, New Zealand, Croatia, Italy, all poets with Parkinson's. And we specifically do it that way around. It's not, we're not Parkinson's poets. We don't write poetry about Parkinson's, although we do. But like Sam, we're just inspired to write. And some of it's about Parkinson's because that's our experience. But this, this outflowing of creativity... Where it, did it come from in your case, do you think? Well, I'm not an agonist, so we can't blame well, that not. one. OK, all right. Parkinson's Europe did have a research program looking into the connections between Parkinson's and creativity. If you go on their website, there's about 20, 30 published papers looking at the connection. They say that around 20% of people with Parkinson's experience some kind of change in their creativity. And those who were creative before experience a surge and a blossoming of their talent. Frank Ormsby, who's the Poet Laureate of Ireland, his poetry changed after he developed Parkinson's. I was a management consultant. I was going to write a book on facilities management and, uh, and creativity, because it's a subject <laughs> I've always been fascinated by. But sitting down, having had to give up work, I couldn't write a book to save my life. I, I just can't organise my thoughts sufficiently, but I can do a page. So my thoughts went on a page, because that's how long a poem is. Did you write poetry before? Um, way back in the 1960s, when I was at some points taking as many drugs as I do today, I, <laughs> I, um, I used to scribble out some hippie nonsense. But no, 50 years of writing business papers and, and things and speaking at business conferences around the world, that kind of stuff. Not creative in any way, shape or form. But our, our group is full of people who've got the same stories, people who've never written before or who wrote before but have rediscovered it. It's absolutely proven that creative therapy is good for your mental, physical and emotional well-being. Whether you're driven to it by the obsession that had you waking up at night trying to think of a, of a rhyme for dystonia or whether you're doing it just to get your head around this amazing dramatic change that's happening to your body, it's, it's worth doing. For me, it's been a gift. 
I was grieving for the life I had before, the business life that I had before, and stuck at home doing jigsaws and watching Cash in the Attic. <laughs> now I'm writing poetry. I've got this community of friends around the world that I work with. I'm here with you lot, for goodness sakes. That wouldn't have happened. I'm going and performing at open mic nights as a shaken word poet, because none of that <gasps> spoken word stuff. World Parkinson's Day last year, we, we called for poems for Parkinson's and uh, working with Parkinson's UK, we got 170 people sent in poems and uh, wonderful people from the advertising hoarding people donated a million pounds worth of advertising space on roadside hoardings, billboards, bus shelters. And we had all of those poems being displayed all around the country on World Parkinson's Day. It was absolutely brilliant, including the the big screens in Piccadilly Circus. One of my poems was up on a big screen in Piccadilly Circus. Bloody awesome. (laughs) And we're we're pulling all those poems together and there's going to be a book coming out. It's it's been a gift. Well, we've had an extraordinary afternoon. We've had music, we've had poetry, we've had science. It's been incredibly creative. But we're we're wrapping up. We're we're coming to the end of this, the second series of Movers and Shakers. Next week, We'll have some of your brilliant emails in a special mailbag edition. And then in a grand finale, we're going to try to come up with a charter for Parkinson's. Gillian, briefly tell us about that. Oh, God, this is my total passion now, that we really, as people who have Parkinson's, need something that says that we are entitled to the following. But the question is, what exactly should that be? So we'd love people's views in advance. And we're doing this with Parkinson's UK as well, who are giving us their views as well. And I think it'll be an important document which we will then present in April, hopefully, to the Minister. Just as a reminder, the email address is feedback at moversandshakerspodcast.com. Send us your ideas for our charter. But we couldn't end without having a poem from Gillian. Go for it, Gillian. Called Damned Solicitude. It comes from when I wrote this about five years into my Parkinson's when I was really angry. So it gets loss of movement, loss of wit. That's not the half of it. Do not think me brash or rude, but spare your damn solicitude. Parkinson's, that's awful, right? What a dreadful thing to fight. You're so brave the way you cope. There's research. We must all hope that in a few years, yes, for sure, there will be an end, a cure. They cock their head and talk so slow. And very loudly, just as though I'd lost my senses, lost my brain. That's what's driving me insane. No need to talk as if I'm four or check my mind in at the door. Whilst I'm all for empathy, this really isn't helping me. Am I slower? Yes, it's true. Lost my edge? Well, so would you. Balance iffy? Just a tad. But please desist, you'll drive me mad. I cannot bear your morbid tone. If that's your tack, leave me alone. Constrain your cloying sympathy. Do you not get it? I'm still me. You've been listening to Movers and Shakers with me, Rory Kathleen Jones, and my friends Gillian Lacey Solomar, Mark Mardell, Paul Mayhew Archer, Nicholas Mostyn, and Jeremy Paxman. The show is produced by Nick Hilton for Podo. Our theme music is by Alex Stobbs and cover artwork by Till Lukat. Thanks again to Boardwave for their support. Please subscribe to get new episodes straight into your podcast app and do rate and review if you've enjoyed the show. We're also on Twitter at Movers and Six. That's Movers and the number six. So please share the show there and email any thoughts or 
questions to feedback at moversandshakerspodcast.com. See you next week. Our bond. We are suave secret agents with Parkinson's disease. Our symptoms, the villains, and sometimes we freeze. We're shaken, not stirred at the spectre ahead. Though our words may be slurred, doctor knows what we said. With our gadgets and allies, we carry on still, cause we're bright and we're brilliant and we're licensed to spill. Very good. Very good. Very good. Excellent.